This is Media Sales Mastery, the podcast for media sales professionals. In each episode, we bring you information, insights, and ideas from some of the industry's top thought leaders. Connect with us to help pick the topic and guide the show. This is Media Sales Mastery, the podcast for media sales professionals. I am your host, Jamie Wood, and we are doing, I say we're doing a different topic every time, um, but this is a bit different. We're talking all about sales EQ. Specifically, we're going to be covering off emotional intelligence, but as it pertains to the profession of media sales. And what I mean by that is, let's think about this. You are selling media, so you are selling for a highly complex media organization with different politics with different personalities, with different challenges. You're selling to highly demanding clients within their own uh, complex organizations with their own stakeholders and factions and politics and challenges and problems. You're selling into a very highly disrupted marketplace that's kind of been thrown on its head over the last couple of years and has a lot of different looming external threats. And then you're also selling against a very aggressive competitive set. So, How do we make sense of all this? Well, the only thing we can really control is our own thoughts, our own feelings, and our own actions. So your ability right now to use self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship management, to pull that all together and to navigate the terrain that you are somewhat navigating at the moment, that is going to be absolutely imperative to your success. And I think this is an interesting point. You know, I read a lot on LinkedIn, um, which I post frequently on too, had to put the... uh, the plug in there. But the other thing I do a lot on LinkedIn is I read a lot of different thought leaders from different sectors. And what I find really interesting is the people who typically excel in their careers, irrespective of what domain they're in, have a high degree of self-regulation, have a high degree of mental agility. And what I mean by that is these are people who are really able to win the mental game. They have a high stress tolerance. They're able to move seamlessly through their day. And, you know, they may be coming from a really bad, really unproductive meeting with a staff member, going into a really bad, really terse interaction with a client, then going into a fun creative session where they have to be uplifting and positive and uh, a positive contributor. Maybe then they go into a heavy finance meeting. Maybe they then need to do some deep analysis. And then they might have to make a quick decision with incomplete information, right? Those are skills you can develop, but they all come down to having great EQ, emotional intelligence, self-awareness, self-regulation, relationship management. So our guest today, he's the perfect person to unpack this. He's been on two prior episodes. It's Richard Wentworth-Ping. He's the founder and managing director of Wentworth People. I'm going to let him talk more about what Wentworth People do specifically, but safe to say this is going to be a fantastic episode and a timely episode as we gear up for the next 12 months. The first five. Richard, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Jamie. Good to be here. This is your third time. For those who haven't heard your previous two episodes, uh, give us a bit of an overview of your background, what you currently do with Wentworth People. The early years were all dedicated in sales, so I, I did a business strategy degree went into fast-moving consumer goods in the UK. Uh, That company, United Biscuits, was exceptionally good at um, training salespeople. And I spent two and a half years working for them as a sales rep, different territories, different client bases and parts of the UK. I then switched to media sales. Uh, This is in London, magazines, weekly magazines. Again, reasonable amount of sales training, but that was uh, a business-to-business magazine. So we were going out. Again, I was covering southeast London, Kent, that area, predominantly on the road. But, you know, like all uh, media sales reps, you know, you've got to do some um, probably two days uh, in the office because you've got to set things up and then you've got to wrap up and do your admin and all that type of stuff really great bunch of people. I then switched to um, another media publishing company called EMAP, ad management, um, you know, ad director, uh, covering a couple of magazines. Again, business to business, mainly monthlies. Um, We also used to do conferences and exhibitions, which we used to have to sell space at. Um, I then came over to Australia in the late 80s. I got a job uh, selling training um, as a manager of a, a company 
which was selling anything from package training programs to psychometric testing. Uh, I wasn't covering the recruitment, which was another. Um, that got me into uh, running my own business, started back in the UK. That was literally from nothing, no clients. So I'm uh, cold calling and really just playing the numbers game in, in the sense of getting one client, getting two clients, um, you know, having an empty diary, if anybody's ever got that, and uh, effectively lying to clients when, you know, they go, well, when can you see me? Well, I'm pretty busy on Monday, Tuesday, but I've yeah, I've got some slots on Wednesday afternoon and Thursday morning, you know, um, and getting the ball rolling. Um, I built up that business um, and then sold it off and emigrated to Australia in the late 90s and did the, did it all again. So uh, I've been running my business for now 33 years. It is, you know, everything starts with sales. Um, and, you know, if you don't have a client or a customer, uh, you haven't got a business. Um, and so I've always felt and valued um the sales role in my business. I mean, the business really is organizational change, leadership development, sales development, but, you know, building capability in people across an organization. I do a lot of work with teams. I do, uh, you know, a lot of my time is spent doing individual coaching with senior executives. I've done, since I've been in Australia for 25 years, a lot in both media agency, creative agency, digital agency, and um, the media side. I've obviously done some work with you in the past and some coaching as well. And I think, you know, you always instilled in me this theory of technical versus adaptive, meaning there are certain, certain things that are technical, technical skills, things that you need to improve, and then adaptive, which are behavior, attitude. And I think the topic today, obviously, sales EQ, i.e. emotional intelligence or uh, emotional capacity, um, like these things are quite broadly defined. So to set up today's topic, in your opinion, somebody in media sales with a high degree of EQ, what does that individual look like? What are some of the hallmarks of that person? The best framework is still probably Daniel Goldman's um, who really pioneered the the whole concept of emotional intelligence. And he had four elements. So, you know, what does someone in sales with good EQ look like? You would really go to all four quadrants. And then I know we're going to do a deeper dive, but quadrant one is self-awareness. Um, now, all of these specifically relate to self-awareness awareness around your emotional state and the impact that has on other people. Um, so someone with high EQ in sales understands their emotional state when they are going in to talk to a client or a customer. Um, and what that emotional state does to the conversation that they have uh, with the client. Um, so they understand if, you know, we, we've all had days like this where a conversation has not gone particularly well. Now that might, by the way, be a conversation you have with a someone you're sharing a house with, a romantic partner, or, you know, um, someone's ill, you know, you, parents not, not well anything like that will set off an emotional state and and if you still have to dig deep and you still got to go out and and do your job you 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 can't take it the day off someone who's self-aware understands what their emotional state is and will kind of adjust according to that um and it's that finessing and you understand how your emotional state has a ripple effect on other people. Um, the second uh, element is emotional self-control. And this is really your ability to manage your emotions. It, it's often the highs and the lows of emotions are the ones we're really talking about. If we look at emotional lows, um, and that could be, you know, 
sadness is is a typical emotional low but some some of the negative emotions could be anger frustration um and again anybody in sales will have had some very frustrating people to deal with we we all do <laughs> you know i think i i have a a fairly positive view of humanity i think the vast majority of people are actually decent human beings and all that sort of stuff but having said that they're very frustrating um you know they procrastinate and they, they don't move they can't make a decision um maybe they're being you know just just difficult to deal with that can trigger quite strong emotions uh while someone who has got good EQ will be able to control those emotions, not get triggered, be able to let that moment of reaction pass without reacting. Um, likewise, if we look at the emotional highs, um, you can be a little bit over exuberant, you know, you're, if, you know uh, and, and that can also have an effect in sales because you could come across um, as things you don't want to come across is arrogant and cocky or whatever if, if your emotional state is too too elated so those two are the compartments of emotional intelligence that relate to yourself and then there's two that relate to others um, one is around emotional uh, awareness of what's happening for other people you know, both in the moment and uh, longer term. Um, now, I'm, I'm the, the conversation that I'm talking about now is relating to clients and customers, but all of this is applicable to everybody we work with. Um, sales works with, you know, if you're in media, it, it, uh, you and I um, worked with each other in the, the radio sector, but it's just as true if you're working in uh, TV, um, digital media, out of home, anything like that. The sale is is a team effort with number of a number of people. So the social awareness, particularly relating to emotions, allows you to understand and read often nonverbal signals. Uh, you know, people aren't. Uh, explicit in terms of how they are feeling um, uh, so you have to intuit that um, and that takes practice but it, it takes observation you you know you have to give a toss about other people to be able to notice those things um, and you could be think you've got a really good relationship with a client but if you're not noticing how they are in that conversation <laughs> in that face-to-face -face meeting even tonally you can pick it up in emails that maybe something's wrong and you know the emotionally intelligent salesperson will know whether do they ask you know the 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 charity movement in in australia you know the are you okay day is around really an emotional intelligence to not be superficial with that question you okay jamie yeah i'm fine richard when really you're not uh, and we say things like yeah i'm fine but if i'm emotionally intelligent as a salesperson i'll kind of know maybe maybe not <laughs> and then it's it's down to the quality of relationship i have and uh, to to maybe push through uh, i'm talking about negative emotions there but the emotionally intelligent salesperson also will pick up on other people's good emotional state and they can capitalize on that. You know, they can strike while the iron's hot. Maybe now is the time to ask for, you know, something that maybe you'd been hesitant to ask for before. So uh, this isn't just around empathy and, you know, helping people out if they're if they're in a bad way this can be a highly practical thing for salespeople to understand when you know we, we talk about closing the sale and things like that well uh, emotionally intelligent salespeople know <laughs> when to close the sale um when's when's the right moment uh, and then the fourth 
quadrant is really around relationship building and the uh, intelligence um, around reading other people's emotions to influence, to manage conflict, to build rapport and persuade. All, all of those things uh, go into what uh, Daniel Goleman described as social skills in the context of emotional intelligence. So I think it's important to understand those four compartments, uh, to self, to about others, and understand that they can really, really um, help salespeople navigate all the different relationships and conversations they have to in any single day. I think it's a great framework to set up for the main topic, mate. Media Sales Mastery. Because we do need to break it into sections. It's, you know, emotional intelligence, as I said, it's such a catch-all expression, but those four key areas are really key. Let's jump straight into the self-awareness one. So I guess the one thing I'm curious about with self-awareness is it's almost a paradox. If somebody isn't self-aware, how do they? How are they aware of that, and how do they become self-aware? What sort of advice would you have for that? You're absolutely right that um, if you are lacking in self-awareness, that suggests <laughs> that you don't know what you don't know. Um, that for me, and and we all have blind spots. You know, uh, you do, I do, all salespeople do. Um, all human beings do. A blind spot is something that others can see, but we can't. There is only um, one way that you can change that, uh, and that's via feedback. Uh, And that comes one of two ways. You either ask people to give you feedback, or people feel psychologically safe enough to give you the feedback. Now, Psychological safety is something that's really come to prominence over the last few years in corporate life. Um, It's really the ability of people to speak up, um, not in an aggressive way, but to to speak up, uh, voice an opinion, say their piece without fear of being attacked, made to look stupid, whatever. Okay. Now, I am not suggesting that if we lack EQ and self-awareness, that that automatically means people won't be psychologically safe speaking up. But I would say there's a higher chance. (laughs) So you may well, if if no one gives you any feedback, like ever, or everybody, you know, in, in organizational life, there are pretty commonly some type of process to get feedback from other people who work with you to give it to, to give it to you yeah. uh, simple one is something like stop start continue what do you need to stop doing what do you need to start doing what do you need to continue doing more complex 360 degree feedback processes involve a lot more questions both qualitative and quantitative okay i've seen loads of these over the years and everybody's going no yeah, Jamie's all good. I'd be really, really suspicious of that uh, because it's never all good. Um, and and if the if the feedback you're getting it looks like it's kind of a bit transactional, no one's really getting into you know the real grit of life. That also would suggest if you know anybody's listening out there and, and you use a process in your organization, have a look at the type of feedback you're getting and how substantive is it. If it's superficial, I would say that's a signal you need to go and ask again. So if people aren't giving you feedback, you need to ask and you need to keep asking. So so for instance, if you're a sales manager and you run team meetings, I would flag it up. January is a good time to start this. Let's say you have a sales meeting once a week. Everybody on the team, I want to improve our meetings. I'm a big part of that. (laughs) Okay. I need you to give me feedback. 
one bit of feedback uh, of what I could do better or differently next week or next month. And let's say you ask that and everybody goes, oh, you're great, Richard. Okay, I'm going to ask again <laughs> next week. Um, you know, I, I'd like you to, to dig a bit deeper because there's something. So you keep asking. Uh, and what people do is they will realize, oh, I'm serious. <laughs> you know, this isn't going to go away. He's going to keep asking um, for feedback. And, and by the way, if you suspect that you may lack self-awareness and you are asking for feedback, when people give you feedback, be really conscious of receiving the feedback well. Yeah. Yeah, um, big, I, I did this one. in a workshop last week, a group of 23 people. I've been working with them all for about five months. And uh, I said, so give me some feedback. And um, happily, there's like three or four of them went, oh, set, buckle in, Richard. Here we go. You know, um, one of them went, you talk too much in a workshop, Richard, you know? Now, I nearly made a witty comment about that. Oh, I've never heard that before, you know? But it's like that was a genuine piece of feedback, well-delivered, <laughs> on the money, by the way. I know because I am doing this act uh, activity in front of other people, I can't get um, defensive, justify, make excuses, I just go, you're absolutely right. And another woman who I'd never met before went, do you know what? You sent us a whole load of pre-work information, Richard, and it was really interesting. Grammatically, there are about five errors in what you sent us. Now, again, you know, there's a little part of me goes, oh, how pedantic of you. You know, you're missing. But as soon as I do something like that, it's like you shut down the feedback. So. The short answer to your question, if you even slightly suspect that you've got a blind spot, particularly around your emotional intelligence and uh, you know, uh, how your emotions and moods impact how you behave, you ask people and you keep asking them. And slowly but surely, you will get things that you can work with. So to that point, around receiving feedback you know i imagine when you get something like that where it feels like they're nitpicking or they're saying something that can be taken quite personally that visceral reaction you have as a human where you actually even if you don't want to you can be get, get quite offended you can become quite defensive it can catch you completely off guard particularly if it is a blind spot it might be a massive surprise and you need to process it um all of those things it, it's kind of a good segue into the next the next piece around um, emotional intelligence, which is around regulating your own emotions um, and emotional control. Is is that just about how we manage and control negative emotions, you know? Um, or are there examples where you've seen people, you know, who can damage their, their professional reputation or their careers just through really poor self-regulation and emotional regulation across the whole spectrum of different emotions? Emotions can... Well, they, they certainly have an impact on our behavior. You think you've got the sale in the bag. Maybe it's one you've been working for for ages. Maybe it's a particularly difficult client. Maybe you've um, you've you've beaten off our opposition. And uh, you're in a pretty, pretty good mood, but maybe the paperwork's not signed yet. Uh, and um, I, I think poor emotional regulation of good emotions means you take your eye off the ball it's it's rather like someone running a you know 3000 meter steeplechase and they're easing up as they come to the line and and then someone's coming up behind them that they haven't seen and they 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 get them um so i think there can be problems with poor regulation of good emotions um, which makes you complacent or, or things like that. I, I think more commonly, emotional control is really when we have negative emotions, 
when we are reacting to someone else or a particular situation and um, we get angry, frustrated, and that, that surfaces. You know, uh, the, the classic concept is you, you get prodded or poked or triggered by something and the old behavior comes to the fore. You, you cannot help yourself. That's disastrous. You know, uh, when we are, you know, under 10, uh, our emotional regulation is generally poor. Uh, and as we mature, it's 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 still bad, you know, in our teenage years and even in, you know, um, early 20s. You know, the research into the brain uh, is the prefrontal cortex, particularly in young males, isn't fully formed until they're 25. Um, you know, there is an argument that uh, risk-taking behavior is a classic poor emotional regulation. Um, uh, because the prefrontal cortex is the logical processing part. Um, Daniel Goleman used to talk about what he called the amygdala hijack, the amygdala being the sort of reptilian brain at the core of the brainstem, which basically just is fight or flight. Um, you know, so the, the question is, how do you regulate? Uh, you know, how do you learn? Well, Happily, most of us have been learning all our life. We, we, you know, if we don't get what we want, we don't throw a tantrum, chuck our toys out of the pram. But but those expressions are still around in adult behavior. And you hear going, oh, yeah, so-and-so chucked his toys out of the pram. Or so-and-so, you know, she, she threw a real hissy fit. And, and so... It's actually quite commonplace that people can't manage their emotions. And there are techniques to do it. It's like um, one of the best is to actually use the gap between whatever is the stimulus and whatever your response is going to be to actually um, name the emotion that you are feeling. I'm feeling frustrated. Now, it's interesting that what that immediately does, literally a short sentence, it takes it from the amygdala part of the brain into the prefrontal cortex. I'm, I'm probably getting a bit technical, but you move by actually naming the emotion, emotion, you move it to a more logical place. And once you name an emotion, you go, you 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 then have a choice of what you do and how you behave. Um, now, th this is learned, you know, this is about, you know, channeling what's called a growth mindset to say, well, look, I, I may not be good at this yet, but with practice, I can get better. Hey, this is Jamie. Thanks for checking out this podcast. If you are wanting to learn more about this particular topic, you should check out another podcast we did with Rob Ranieri of Ranieri & Co. titled Media Sales Mindset. We go into a lot of similar themes and similar topics around building mental toughness, mental resilience, uh, how to be solutions focused in times of adversity. Rob is a great guy, really inspirational dude, runs a fantastic business and really walks the talk when it comes to this kind of high performance mentality. So check it out. It's in the prior episodes. It dropped on the 4th of February, 2022. Give it a listen and check Rob out on LinkedIn too. He's a great guy. Mate, what, what I think is interesting when we're talking about this is um, it's hard to give specific examples sometimes with this type of thing, but we all know what it's like. It's, I think in media sales in particular, and I'll, I'll try to give a bit of an example from my experience, is that you're often in a state of high stress or high emotion just by virtue of the role. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, you might be coming into work um, and you've already read a, a frustrated email from a client where there's an issue with the campaign that's been delivered. Um, you might then have uh, a really unproductive meeting with a sales manager because, you know, you're falling short to your monthly budget and 
Um, you know, you've got a bit of stress around your ability to close that number. You might then have two or three other things that are coming and hitting you. Um, you know, things that in isolation might be small things, but in the context of the morning you're having, you're actually quite frustrating. You know, maybe a, an internal department's dropped the ball or you're getting a bit of pushback on something or you just don't feel like you're actually able to, to move a task forward. And I think these are the types of situations that we come across a lot where your, your cortisol levels are already quite spiked. You're trying to kind of regulate your own emotions and bring yourself back down to a baseline. Um, and this is where I typically see things start to go off track with a media salesperson is when they're in those moments, that's when they'll typically lash out. They might be shorter with people. Uh, they might uh, they might do something that's a little bit short-sighted. They might send that curt email. Um, you know, they might they might just storm off the floor and make a bit of a scene and make people around them uncomfortable. The, those types of moments where we're talking about self-awareness, how, how your behavior is being perceived by others, we're talking about self-awareness in terms of being able to understand your own emotional state and what those triggers are, um, emotional regulation, being able to capture yourself in those moments. What are some tools or techniques for people that, you know, very tactically, when they see those types of scenarios um, happening, what would be your recommendation to those people to, to be able to then sort of hit the pause button and, and get themselves back to a baseline? I actually recommend people have, whether it's a post-it note, uh, you could certainly go online and they'll, they'll be, you know, go to Google Images, it'll be, it'll be there. The following saying, will this matter in a year's time? Will this matter in a month's time? Will this matter in a week's time? Will this matter tomorrow? If the answer to any of these is no, move on. Yeah. I was thankfully never really one to get too, you know, into, into hissy fits. But I, I've seen people who were like that have that little poster or post-it note visible on their desk, in their car, you know, in, in their notepad, whatever they're doing, and it's changed. It's changed the way they behave because they've got some visual clue that basically goes, this will not matter and it won't you know there's the famous book don't sweat the small stuff it's like and and the message at the end is pretty much everything in life is small stuff some big stuff most of the stuff that irritates us in life you know uh doesn't really matter I, 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 you know deep breathing you know uh take we don't most of the time going through the day we're not really focusing on our breathing we breathe quite shallowly if you do three deep inhaled breaths and and out and hold it for you know three or four seconds you don't have to be sort of some yogic mystic or anything like that just do three that hits the pause button and really it's it repetition builds muscle memory it, it builds your ability to do this uh I also get someone who's on your side who works around you to give you a little, you know, signal, you know, safe word, you know, and, 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 and that can be a circuit breaker as well. If you, if you're going out on sales calls with other people, um, you know, uh, and they can see you doing that, uh, just, just a word can, oh, okay. Snap you out of it. That's all we need. You know, reactions are, you know, uncontrolled. They're really quick. Uh, and you need to do something that allows you to, to break that particular cycle. And you actually become practiced. So I was up seeing a friend uh, up the coast of New South Wales near Byron. I'm flying back from Ballinor Airport flights delayed an hour and a half well that could trigger people you know people get into a real it's like what's the chance a flight's going to be de delayed hi so it's like okay so anyway flights delayed my uh, laptop 
is is low on battery so i put it to charge about 20 meters away from where i'm sitting i'll remember that says i no i didn't i got on the plane without my laptop uh, i realized actually when i landed in sydney went ah oh, uh, my laptop is now sitting in the departure lounge of ballina so that's a trigger event if you've had a bad day that could just send you over the edge I, i've kind of learnt it because this is what i do for a living so i also have to roll roll model it but no one else is watching but even when it works it's like a, an internal expletive and then you know okay um now ballina airport's closed by that because it's 9 30 in the evening my son who's 16 actually was getting into a real uh state on my behalf uh was someone will have sold it i said i, I don't think so <laughs> and they hadn't i got it back you know i'm 300 lighter you know this stuff happens to all of us you know maybe you don't lose your phone but there's something every day could trigger you yeah which is the that's that's the bad news the good news is you've got every day to practice reacting better emotionally it's not like oh it only happens once a month well if you play tennis once a month you're not going to get better at it but if you're playing tennis once a day you're practicing emotional control once a day you're actually going to get better quite quickly and i would suggest there's probably four or five trigger events of different magnitudes every day you practice it yeah i mean i i definitely agree with that i think you know, this is probably the juxtaposition too, because emotional control, I think I think of that a lot as how we deal with an issue or a frustration in the moment. So these things are coming at us. It's happening right now. In context, it's not a big deal, but at that time, it is a big deal. What about the the opposite end of that? And this is something I think I remember, um, a, you know, a, a sales director when I they were coaching me early in my career made this point. What about the cumulative effect of long-term sustained frustrations, long-term sustained stress, or ongoing conflicts? Where does that emotional resilience come into the equation? And so what I mean when I said I got coached on this was I, I had a sales director sit me down and go, mate, frustrations are part of the role. Like it's actually, it's part of the job. You are going to be frustrated. How you deal with these frustrations is actually what's in, you know, most important. So how would somebody develop that level of, let's say, um, not so much emotional control, but more that emotional resilience for some of those longer term stresses or frustrations? There's a, a book called something like Why Zebras Don't Get Stressed. And um basically the, the the whole sort of idea is uh, you know lions hunt zebras um you know maybe um once a week the zebras get chased by um lions and, and maybe one of one of the zebras gets gets caught really not good for the zebra uh, what what people have studied is that actually really quickly the zebras go back to grazing and what they're saying is that actually zebras really only get stressed for a short space of time and then it's a fairly stress-free life um in in any one day or or week uh, now humans were similarly designed like that you know when we were hunter gatherers we would have occasional really stressful events adrenaline cortisol goes into the system yeah but it dissipates your question is around the modern condition we're in sales uh, corporate life the, the number of things that stress us could be happening really quickly and sequentially so we don't have the time, and I, uh, I I don't know the exact science, but cortisol and adrenaline takes a while to move out of the system. 
Okay, so it's not moved out of the system until the before the next one kicks in. We get another kick. You know, you might not even realize you're getting adrenaline and cortisol in your system, but you are, and and it is deeply unhealthy. Uh, you know, it it'll kill you after a while. Uh, and when I say after a while, years of highly stressful jobs, blood pressure, not good. Your question is, if that's the life you're leading, how do you change the dynamic? Well, first of all, I'd recommend you read up on the science and the physiology of um, stress and cortisol and adrenaline and what it does to you. That in itself might get you to change your behavior. You know, if a particular set of habits and behaviors are not working for you and are not doing making you healthy, you've got to change. Now, how do you change? You change in really small increments. Trying to go cold turkey on this is impractical, but you have to start building in things into your working life that allow you to decompress. So, and again, I am not saying anything new or groundbreaking, but your morning routines, um, your lunchtime routines, how you eat, how much you sleep, whether you are working on, you know, blue lit screens right up until the time you try and go to all of this, you know, is compounding the problem. You have to have enough space every day to decompress. So it doesn't mean you have to go to the gym for half an hour a day, it, but you need to do something. Actually, some things. It's it's never a single thing. Um, uh, and, and by the way, this is why books by people like James Clear, Atomic Habits, B.J. Fogg, Tiny Habits, you know, um, have gained such traction in the world generally. They've been on the bestseller lists for for, for years because this is now seen as one of the key things that we need to do as humans and as salespeople. You know, we are driven uh, and we will succeed and fail through our habits and our behaviors. Yeah. Um, so if you're not paying attention to your emotional resilience, while you're going to then be doing fight or flight reaction, you're going to be emotionally out of control. And And again, I keep quoting Daniel Goleman, one of his best quotes is out of control emotions make smart people dumb. Yeah. I think just reflecting on everything you're saying there, you're absolutely correct in that the fundamental habits, like the good habits of health, you can you can often improve your situation dramatically, your mental state, just by focusing on those, getting enough sleep, getting enough exercise, eating well. Um, if one of those things is off, often you'll find that that manifests as a bit of mental deterioration. And I've always felt like those kind of things, those tiny daily habits like the rituals, like the uh, like the exercising in the morning, eating a healthy breakfast, having had a good night's rest before, not reading your emails outside of business hours, a big one. Um, those types of things will actually have a massive impact and they might not feel at the time, like they're the causal factors of a lot of the frustration, but they're almost like the underlying foundations or the bedrock. If that's not solid, nothing else is going to fly on top of it. Um, so I think that's a great call. The thing you said also made about this idea of you know cortisol or stress or modern the modern world just being a little bit different in terms of how we react physiologically, I think is really interesting when you start talking about a role in sales, particularly something as simple as a budget, a quarterly budget. If uh, if your livelihood is intrinsically linked to hitting a revenue target, and you've got three or four months in a row where you've not hit that target, like that's a cumulative stressor that's going to, you know, going to impede a lot of your time. And I've often really admired the media salespeople and the leaders who their personality doesn't change based on their percentage to budget. You know, they still have a consistency of tone, demeanor, output, performance, irrespective of what the scoreboard is saying. And and that to me 
has always been really interesting of going, how do you develop more of that? You know, how does how does somebody build that muscle where they can withstand or they can, um, you know, they can build resistance to those types of stresses and not let the water into the boat, you know, to, to use that, um, that phrase. You know, just hearing any of that, is there anything, any techniques that you'd recommend beyond what you've already said around how to build that level of stress tolerance or stress resistance? Okay, I, I think it is worth repeating that our emotional intelligence is an end outcome to the things that we do that enable us to be emotionally self-aware and we are talking about um, emotionally in control Uh, so like all things you focus on the process to get you there not the end goal you have to go right this might take longer than i want it to do you know it's like it's like going to the gym yeah i want to have a six pack i want to have it in a month good luck <laughs> very unlikely you know and people get you know there's this valley of disappointment when they you know i've been working on my emotional self control i'm still bursting into tears or i'm still getting angry or i'm still throwing you know temper tantrums or whatever all of these are emotional you know signals and people can go oh you know i've been listening to what richard's saying and none of none of it's working it's like well i would go yet yeah all those things you know scientifically proven can you would you do you do you buy the fact that some of the stuff that i've been talking about should help yes keep doing it then you're focusing too much on the end goal and the fact that you're not there yet less on the process you know uh, do we believe going to the gym <clears throat> working out five days a week for 40 minutes and eating healthier should make us fitter stronger yeah don't worry about whether you're fit or strong yet <laughs> you'll get there just keep doing it you know it's the same you know with sales do we believe you know uh, proper prospecting and qualifying of sales opportunities um, proper preparation before making a call to, to, to you know all of that will lead to more sales yeah okay keep doing it the results will come you know sales isn't just a numbers game but if you are following the right process for long enough it does become a numbers game <laughs> and they fall into place that's a great point to sort of end on too because we're jumping into a listener question that has a very similar theme to it. I can't ask my sales manager that. Hi, Jamie. I work in sales for a large national publisher. We have a very transactional sales philosophy. I find it difficult because I've always prided myself on having a strong working relationship with clients and being very service orientated. I've been told that empathy is one of my strengths by many previous bosses. In this role, it's been positioned to me like it's some sort of character flaw. Can a salesperson be too empathetic? Um, bit to unpack there. What do you think on that one? Uh, yeah, salesperson people can be too empathetic. Uh, if you are too empathetic, you can negotiate poorly uh, by every reason that the client is giving you not to buy and walk away. Uh, and not get the sale and someone who is a little bit less empathetic (laughs) i'm not saying don't care but it's like uh in sales you know you do need to basically make sure that you are giving the client what they need so you you know I'm, i'm absolutely against selling things to people that they don't 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 need don't want and that you've kind of manipulated that's the worst type of selling but i think if you are too empathetic you're you're buying every reason they should buy there's there's a myriad of reasons it's never the right time you know and they kick it down the line and yeah we're oh, we're really busy at the moment or we're just going through this merger or just it's like but i know in in my business that's not a good reason not to develop people 
you know, we've just lost a bit, big bit of business, so we're going to cut our sales training budget. It's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Okay, right. I'm being really empathetic with the client. Essentially, that that's, that empathy is doing the client a disservice as well as yourself as the salesperson a disservice. So uh, the answer is yes, you can be too empathetic. Um, now, I'll just make a quick comment because clearly we don't know a lot. I have a lot of red flags when people go, we have a very transactional sales philosophy. You know, I've been told I'm too. It's like, oh, um, I worry about that type of environment to work in, you know, and I understand it's not that easy. Well, you know, I, I'm not going to be so glib as to get another job because, you know, there are all sorts of other variables. But I think as professional salespeople, we should be working in environments other than transactional. That's not to say we don't do some transactional business, but you want to work in a company where you're not saying that, that you go, we do balance strategic long-term partnering relationships and some transactional. Yeah, I have an interesting perspective on this, and and I'll give context. The voiceover of this question is not the person who submitted the question. They asked me to not have their voice because they wanted to keep it confidential. So we're all good there. But the um the thing I worry about reading this is I think I could interpret it from two very different perspectives. I could interpret it going, we're in like a boiler room type of sales team. It's just churn and burn. I want to be strategic. I want to partner with clients and, um, you know, be accountable for their objectives and really kind of work with them and be be very much kind of that trusted advisor. Or I could take it as a person who's maybe been given some feedback or some coaching around their style being a little too soft um, or their style not really working for them. You know, you're being a bit too empathetic with the clients here and maybe they might be misinterpreting the feedback or they might actually be sort of misrepresenting the environment. I mean, to say we have a very transactional sales philosophy, no sales organization that I know goes, our philosophy is we're going to be really transactional. <laughs> um, so so I, I do I do look at this as go, this is the type of this is the type of issue that that comes up where I don't think it's a technical or adaptive fix. I think the first thing is for this person to really have a strong view on the organizational dynamic um, to your point like what type of company are working for what's their ethos what are their values um, am I interpreting or misinterpreting certain pieces of information or feedback that are coming my way um, that might actually be designed to help me or snap some bad behavior so this one is complex there is a lot to unpack it's not a simple well it is answer. but I, I hope I was clear in my answer. You know, it's a closed question. Yeah. Can a salesperson be too empathetic? I answered, yes, they can. <laughs> yeah. I won't repeat that. It's like I'm very unequivocal about that. I think you're right. I think they might have a blind spot or they might have a fixed belief. Being empathetic equals good in any degree. Not so. Yeah. I think this is one that this person, I might see if I can put them in touch with you, Richard, to do some more follow-up. But there is a lot there. And I think, yeah, definitely I like I like the way you phrase that of let's tackle the, the actual close question, but let's not miss maybe some of the subtext of the question as well here that's sort of coming out to both of us. Um, here's one, and this is so off topic, but before we wrap the episode, I'd love to get your perspective after the last couple of years. Um just broadly, where, where do you think people are at in their corporate life with burnout? I mean, is burnout more of a thing? Is it more prevalent? Have the last couple of years um, eroded people's resilience or energy and burnt them out? Or, or has it actually built a level of stress tolerance and, uh, and muscle memory for dealing with crises? Like, what's your perspective dealing with all these different organizations who've been, um, you know, contending with some unique challenges over the last few years? One of my mates and th this is last year, so it, it, it's, it wasn't 2022, but he said, uh, you know, after lockdown, blokes come out as one of four things, a hunk, a chunk, a drunk, or a monk. Um, 
which doesn't really answer your question, but what it is saying that we've all had this three years of experience of living in a pandemic, working from home, all of that. And how we have come out of it differs massively depending on the environment that you surround yourself in. If if you're, you know, living in a two-bedroom apartment or you've had to go back and live with your parents or, you know, you've got screaming children, you've got no, it's like, gee, that would be, that would be bad, you know, and then you have a work environment where maybe uh, there's been no trust from the organization or you've been micromanaged or left to your own devices, this can be highly stressful. I've done a lot of work in, in the agency sector and I've seen a lot of burnout, a lot of burnout. People just exhausted. Now, who can blame them? Uh, I don't think they've been their own best friend. You know, I, I, I think one of the things that we have to come to terms with in life generally is no one else is going to save us. <laughs> you know, we, we have to do the work ourselves and we we can't rely on all sorts of other people um and therefore it does come down to the choices we make um if if you are burnt out you know i i would first of all there's got to be a self-awareness emotional self-awareness this is my state and then to say right what can i what can i do who can i maybe get to support me in a journey now again you could well go well richard if i'm burnt out i'm exhausted i don't have the energy uh to to do anything uh, well okay that that's almost becoming a clinical problem uh that you know i, I don't really want to go down that particular rabbit hole but they they need clinical help but i think for the majority of people that are going to be listening to this podcast the uh, and this has been a theme of the last hour's conversation. It, it, it's it's like to say, well, what can I do as a process that is iterative to help me get to a better place? If I am burnt out, <laughs> then I need to repair myself. And m maybe that means, you know, maybe I change my diet. Maybe I change my exercise regime. Maybe I turn, uh, have my morning uh, routine changed or my evening routine changed. Uh, maybe maybe I need to get out in nature more. Um, maybe I need to get some sun on my face. You know, th these sound sort of almost, you know, pop psychology, but it's like if you're burnt out, you have to do that. Otherwise, it's not sustainable. Take a holiday. You know, you, you don't need to go traveling. Take take a holiday and don't look at your emails. You mentioned that earlier. It's like, but people, you know, they can't afford to take a holiday. Okay, don't just don't go into work. Have a, you know, take your holiday and, you know, go on bush walk or something. You know, there's lots of things you can do for free if you're, you know, short of cash. Um, but they don't do it. They don't get out of their own way sometimes. Yeah, it's a good point. Like, it's funny when you think about corporate Australia and some of the people you would assume never take their holidays, like a CEO. Um, actually, it's the reverse. They they really prioritize their their rest, you know, and they really um, they really protect their calendar around taking time away and time out. Um, and I think it's interesting when you see people who are almost in that death spiral where they're in the they're in the burnout you can see they're burnt out you can see they're exhausted um but they sort of it's like they don't have the tools to pull themselves out of it it's a it's a really interesting i'm not blaming people i'm just saying it's i think when you're in it it can be hard to get perspective sometimes and it can be hard to to think about what is going to be the way to solve the problem you can almost feel quite hopeless or feel like you're you're sort of running on a trend uh, on a treadmill or just running on adrenaline um, trying to react to the next thing. And um, I think that's a great call that it's it's just got to be about 
again that level of self-awareness and that level of emotional maturity to go I'm in this I'm in this zone what am I feeling why am I feeling this way well I haven't had a holiday in two years um, or haven't had a proper mental break in two years you know I've been on holiday but I haven't mentally been on holiday I've been checking emails checking in on the office thinking about work like all those kinds of things so I just think it's really poignant right now mate because I, I get the feeling um, whilst things are a little bit more consistent and stable in the external environment I'll probably jinx it but saying that um, I do worry there's this cumulative effect over the last two plus years that unless people can stop now and actually catch it and reflect and realize they're in it it's gonna be very difficult for them to actually move forward into the next 12 months with any degree of success um so big one to call out um look that gets us to the end of the episode i think we could talk about this much longer but before you go um talk to us a bit more about wentworth people what have what have you got going on at the moment what sort of stuff are you uh jumping into with your clients well i have clients where i'm doing leadership development for senior leaders in media or agencies and interesting a lot of a lot of work seems to have really struck a chord about the importance of setting expectations in 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 relationships um and people thinking that they well no i've talked about expectations um you know, when someone joins a team or when they start working with a client or, you know, uh, uh, and so they think they've done it. And asked, did anything get written down, documented? Do, do you, oh, no, don't, no, I haven't done that. So they, they use a really loose process. Um, and you think about any working relationship, upwards with your boss, downwards with maybe a direct report, sideways with people in your own organization outwards with clients outwards with suppliers you look at any um reason you would say that that that's not working nine times out of ten it's mismatched expectations that you've been disappointed or let down or frustrated by someone not doing something that you thought was like we agreed that so I'm doing a lot of work on expectations um, and people, and I often have to force them, do the process, document it, be a lot more detailed. Don't just come up with motherhood phrases like, you know, well, Jamie, I expect you to be proactive. It's like, be explicit, you know, pay attention to detail, use your initiative, you know, explain these. Um, so I'm doing a lot on that. I'm doing a lot on, as always, around behavior change and habit building. And this is a flip from what I've spent a lot of my last 33 years doing is that I would say 80% has been on group work and 20% has been on individual capability building and coaching. And that's flipped. I spend 80% of the time I'm working, um, doing individual work, um, and 20% group work. I, I like both. Um, I'm more picky around what I do. Um, so it's, it's gotta be values aligned. I do quite a lot of pro bono work, but you know, ultimately, um, you know, my, my whole brand is built around enjoy your working life. If, I don't know whether you or anybody uh, is connected me on LinkedIn. My last one was really around, is it better to enjoy the work you do or do work you enjoy? Uh, my point being that you know, I would have liked to have been a cricket commentator, but frankly, never gave myself that opinion, that, that chance. Most of us aren't in careers where we are massively passionate where we're doing you know i always wanted to be an airline pilot or a what you know, or a dj or something we're doing work the trick is to enjoy the work you do and um yeah i, I think that's really really important for all the things that we've been talking about today avoiding burnout being emotionally engaged with the people that you're working with is if you have made a choice 
you know, to enjoy the work you do. And people don't give me briefs to come in and say, could you make me enjoy my work in life more? But everything really <laughs> is underpinned by that. I love that. Well, yeah, I did read your LinkedIn and I will put a link to your LinkedIn in the show notes for anyone listening who does want to connect, of which I'm sure there will be many. Richard Wentworth-Ping, thanks as always for uh, for coming with some very insightful and thought-provoking answers. And uh, mate, we really just love getting into this stuff with you. It's um, it's definitely your unique specialization is sort of those those little gray areas that aren't really a technical or adaptive they're sort of in between so thank you for being here today mate we wish you the very best all right thank you jamie